in this particular episode, I'd like to bring your attention to another question that we are hoping to address, and that is, why do educators promote learning in community? Hello and welcome again to another episode in our teaching series that we've titled A Band of Disciples, A Band of Disciples. And you get the gist by now that this whole metaphor of music band is our way of saying that Christianity is like developing musicians. Uh, They live a particular way of life, becoming certain type of people, not merely because they know some knowledge or because they've been pressured to practice three hours of music a week, but because they see themselves as a certain type of people, as talented musicians, and they do what it takes to be that. And whenever they're stuck, they begin to learn Uh, some practical skills to help them become the type of people that would live out this particular image that they have of themselves. And uh, in the first part of our series, we looked at the discipling calling. How can we help people? How can we disciple people to become that type of person? What is our role as disciplers? And in this particular series, we're looking at the discipling community. So we're basically honing in on the idea of the band, okay? If we're going to raise musicians, that is to raise people that live the life of Jesus on earth, being a a group of people that live the traits of Jesus wherever they may be, then we are suggesting uh, that their growth and transformation will take place primarily in a community, not not individually, uh, but in a community. And in the last session, we looked at the ministry of Jesus and how he resorted to the strategy of bringing his disciples in community common unity in a common life and 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 he nurtured them that way and he transformed their view of themselves view of others and view of the world and he unleashed the most incredible movement the world has ever seen that it's changing people's lives and eternities until today. So we're saying if Jesus, if it was good enough for Jesus, the greatest communicator and teacher the world has ever known, it must be good for you and me as disciples. And we assume you are watching with us because you're compelled by God to pursue this discipleship movement that Jesus initiated on planet earth. And we are saying this, that we need a holistic discipling strategy that builds a person's being, their personhood, who they are in the world, the certain type of person in the world, not simply just construct knowledge and modify their behaviors. We don't just want people to know more knowledge and do different things while they remain the same type of people. We don't want that. We want them to change from the inside out. And that, we propose, only happens 
in an environment of a community of disciples and community of disciples. And uh, in this particular episode, I'd like to bring your attention to another question that we are hoping to address, and that is, why do educators promote learning in community? Why do educators promote learning in community? The reality is this, if uh, the discipling endeavors are helping people to learn and develop and be transformed, then we are like every other educational sector. Uh, We as disciples are like any other teacher in any other industry that is hoping to accomplish the same goal of a person's uh, learning development and transformation. So I hope to give you just some clues from educational uh, theories, and then I'm going to link that to the scripture to help you see how important it is for us to pursue discipling in communities. I recall this idea came to me, and it might come to you as a surprise as well. It came to me as a surprise when I began my teacher education. Uh, I had, uh, you know, I was a mature student by the time, uh, and I was, uh, uh, you know, went to uh, to, to do a, a diploma in education. Uh, and my first day uh, in a class called Le- Teaching and Learning uh, by a tutor, Dr. Grandpa, he asked us uh, to write a, a, a letter to ourselves that expresses our teaching philosophy. I didn't even know what a teaching philosophy at the time, uh, but I, I, he asked us to write what we think teaching is like. What is good teaching? What's effective teaching? And maybe I didn't know the link but deep inside me, I didn't tell anyone around me. I thought I was an experienced teacher. Why? Because for several years before then, I was a preacher. I was a youth leader, a a preacher in our local church, and I have been around preachers all my life. So, well, teaching is like preaching, isn't it? And I wrote things that about, you know, how you can uh, grab people's attention and and how you can simplify concepts through visual aids and and how you can speak in such a way that's persuasive and meaningful. Uh, It was all about the teacher uh, giving of his wisdom or her wisdom to the students who are so desperately awaiting, you know, the overflow of these incredible insights from the all-knowing teacher. I thought, you know, best students are people who shut up, you know, back in, in Egypt when I was learning as a student, the book that we learned was Look, Listen, and Learn. You know, basically sit down, shut up, and look at the teacher and get as much information as you possibly could. (laughs) And that was my view of education. I wrote that confidently in an A4 paper, and Dr. Pa gave us an envelope uh, that we placed our, you know, insightful uh, brainstorming and ideas and philosophies of education. And he took it, uh, sealed in, in that envelope, and we uh, conducted the rest of the semester. And at the end of the year or at the end of the semester, I can't fully remember, we were given the envelope back so we can see what we wrote. And man, that was one of the most embarrassing moments in my educational journey because I knew what I had written 
But I observed how Dr. Pa was conducting our tutorial, all in seats, all in, in, in little groups. And we learned so much by discussion, by engagement, by active thinking, by, by presentations, by, you know, all those things where he wasn't the main conductor of the whole, uh, you know, uh, band. He allowed us to learn from one another and, you know, learn from resources that he had uh, allowed us to have a look at. And, and from that moment on, I decided cooperative learning, which I experienced personally as a learner, maybe for the first time in my life, was what I'm going to do as a graduate teacher. And indeed, I was appointed in a, in a boys' school and I asked the, my faculty head, I said, listen, I don't want these pews kids looking at me. I don't do that anymore. I don't know where I got the confidence from. I said, we want tables so the kids could sit in groups of fours or six and, and they interact with each other. And, and, and the new classroom that was being referred had windows everywhere, you know, there was no privacy for the teacher and the students. So every teacher that walked past the corridor, past my classroom would look in and realize I'm the only odd teacher in the entire school that had kids facing one another, communicating one with one another. It almost sounded to them like chaos. I recall one of the uh, students, a year 11 student, I think it was a year 11 student who came in the second semester uh, into my class because it was a semester subject. As soon as he found out that it was all, you know, talking with other students and doing projects and all of that, he, he went to the coordinator and said, I don't want this stuff. I want real learning. He was apparently one of the smartest kids in the, in the school. And I'm like, wow, I lost this kid because of cooperative learning because of engaging together in community. But I knew that I had experienced something so profound that I wasn't going to let go of it because I knew experientially it worked. It was, it was much better than, than people listening and competing with one another as to who's going to get the greatest grade and, and, and you know, uh, what information they can, they can regurgitate at the end of my performance. But the reality is we, we were, this particular smart academic student was uh, having a moment of conflict in his understanding of what learning is all about. And probably for some of us as disciplers, we probably have the same dilemma because we have been part of educational systems. We've observed teachers and mostly we've observed teachers in a church teach us through preaching uh, through Bible studies where they, uh, you know, uh, amazed us with their information and, and theological depth. And we have resorted to the idea that learning is about a teacher who speaks and learners who receive and somehow they apply what they have learned. And there are several approaches to education that can impact the way we do discipling in our own context. And maybe you can affiliate with one of those. I'll just mention three. The first one is about the cognitivists, uh, cognitivists the people who think that learning is all about knowledge and about changing the schemas, about changing the patterns of the brain, thinking differently about information, uh, putting information together in such a way that it's retrievable and, and so on. But knowledge is what changes everything. If I know enough, 
the, the, the assumption is I'm going to do enough and somehow I'm going to be a, a different type of person. And we've all received that. In fact, that particular student that left my year 11 class, he felt so robbed of the information that he was waiting to receive from the teacher. And, and maybe that's what we do. We just speak at people, preach to people. Uh, you know, just like what I'm doing uh, to you right now. We, if we think that that's the only way people learn and develop, or that's the primary way people learn and develop, uh, we're mistaken. There is another uh, approach. We call it the behaviorists approach. You probably would have heard of uh, Skinner's monkeys or Pavlov dogs. Is is a psychological um, uh, experimentations where they manipulated the behavior of the monkeys and the dogs based on reward and punishment. And the idea that they stipulated out of this is human beings are like animals. <laughs> You and I like dogs, you know, these days kids say, oh, dog, this, dog, that. They basically going back to the behaviorist times where everybody was a dog and a donkey. Yeah, I can change your behavior, modify your behavior based on what reinforcements I give you. If I don't want you to do that, maybe I'll give you the cold shoulder or I'll give you a punishment or whatever, a negative reward. If I want you to perpetuate what you're doing, I praise you or I give you a, a chocolate <laughs> or flowers or whatever it might be. And we modify and, and we say transformation is simply about what we do. So if we can change what people do, bingo, we changed who they are. Then there came a group of people called the constructivists. And basically they said, you know what? It's not about modifying behavior. It's not just about information that being stored in people's mind. The reality is kids discover things and adults discover things and they build their knowledge like a construction of a Lego. They get something old and they link it with something new. It's in their own way. They build their own understanding uh, by themselves. They are active learners, but it's, it's all about the, the way they discover things, the way they experience the world, but still it's very individualistic. And maybe we're in one of those um, particular approaches. There is a different approach, and I'm not saying it's a perfect approach, but for me, it links profoundly with some of my learnings in the scripture, and that comes as what we call social constructivists. Uh, social con constructivist theories uh, propose that learning happens in a social cultural setting uh, through interactions with other people where we learn from one another and with one another. And uh, uh, the, the uh, psychologist that, that came up with this concept, uh, Vygotsky, uh, uh, created a, an understanding of teaching that would enable people to interact, to converse, and to help each other go to the next level of their development uh, by first, you, you figure out where they are, you figure out where they should go or where they could go, but they can't go on them uh, by themselves alone. So you become like a scaffold that helps them get there. And uh, this social constructivist idea is simple. It's all about developing and learning and being transformed in community, just like Jesus brought people in community. And it, and it assumes that we as humans are social beings. 
you know, we're created in the image uh, of the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It means we're social people. We, we find ourselves in relations. We define ourselves in relationships, in the, in the networks of relations. I am a son of someone. I am the father of someone. I'm the husband of someone. I work with some people and we reach out to some other people. You know, we have networks of relationships that define the way we see ourselves. We're social uh, beings. So that's why we'll learn and develop in community. Um, they also, those theorists, uh, you know, suggest that we are experienced adults who have our own prior knowledge, our own experiences, our failures and our success, our preconceived ideas. So we don't come to a learning environment as blank slates. We're not empty vessels. We're not empty-headed that you can pour your wisdom. You know, I hear it all the time. People say, you know, uh, I can only pour, uh, you know, my cup into yours. Well, that's not actually how learning takes place. It's a great saying and it's an admirable intention, but that's not how learning takes place because unless you get people to engage with their prior knowledge, elicit their prior knowledge and understanding so they can build on it, what are they going to build on? Think of a Lego. You got to figure out the first Lego so you can build on it. You can't just build in the air, right? It will not be connected and it will not stick together. So they suggest that adults are experienced people. So you need to manage uh, the learning environment where they bring their experiences, their input uh, their prior learning and mingle that with resources and with interactions with others, which leads us to another element of their, uh, uh, you know, conceptualization of learning, and that is simply group participation. When we participate with one another, we are being formed in that participation, not simply in discussions, but the way people are. Even in a discussion environment, if you're around the same group all the time, you notice some communities put each other down. That's the way they do things, right? So that's that's participating in what's hidden in the group. The discussion may be what we're all familiar with, but the way of doing things, the way of living is uh, you know, unique to every setting. Some other people, you find them as, you know, over the top, extroverted, everything is, yeah, 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 all of that. And, and, and you get accustomed to that group of people. Other people uh, engage in discussions, you know, not looking at each other. You know? <laughs> it's, it's just the way their cultural subculture functions. Other people, you know, uh, honor one another or hear one another or whatever it might be that is within a group discussion that is a hidden agenda. We learn how people function, and that happens everywhere. We learn how life is, how people function, how could we function. We learn what is appropriate and what's not appropriate, what's admirable, what's not admirable by participating. That's why if you've gone to a new work environment or to a new school, 
you, you, you don't know what to do. You don't know what's acceptable around here. And you feel a little bit anxious and you're always looking for cues as to what to do. I remember uh, going to a particular traditional church that I've never been to before as a teenager here in Australia. And I remember I was always glancing with the corner of my eye to see whether I should stand or sit or kneel or what. It's like a, a little bit like Mr. Bean in a church and that's how it feels. But we learn and we develop uh, and we gain our own view of life as we engage with others in participation. So in the, in the little time I have left, I want to show you that this concept of being together and learning together, not individually, which is so um, prevalent in our Western culture, I want to show you that this is not just an educational concept as I've uh, attempted to express to you, but it's also a, a quite a, a very uh, ingrained biblical concept of Christians. So in uh, New Testament teachings, particularly in the work uh, um, of the Apostle Paul, we see another metaphor that it speaks of Christians and disciples as the body of Christ. So Paul writes to the church in Corinth, whom he spent about a year and a half in there uh, establishing the church. He had a lot of correspondence with this church. That church was messed up. It wasn't the United Church that Jesus prayed for in his high priestly prayer uh, in John chapter 17. It was the type of church that was fighting within each other like they had divisions and and and, and they were dealing with defilement and and they had disorder in their worship and they were mucking around with their uh, uh, conceptions of spiritual gifts and Paul writes to them uh, about all these issues but particularly in chapter 12 and 14 he mentions this concept of the body of Christ the metaphor of the body of Christ dealing with uh, the the spiritual gifts. They were mucking around with the spiritual gift. They were using what God gave them as competencies because of their union with Christ and the endowment of the Spirit. They were using this for individual purposes. I am better than you. Look at me. I can do that. I have a supernatural gift. I can do something that you are not, you know, not grown enough to be able to do. Look at me. It was all about self. It was an individualistic uh, approach to their life with God. And Paul hits this whole concept by sharing with them that, hey, what are you doing doesn't make sense because you're a body. The way you're approaching your spiritual life and your spiritual transformation is missing the most critical component that you are not for yourself. As long as you are united in Christ, you have, you have been placed, baptized in, uh, in Christ, you are now part of a body. And he mentions three things about this metaphor uh, of a body, or I'm picking three uh, quick things to share with you today that shows you the critical importance of us learning and developing together as a unit, as a, um, a community, common uh, unity. And in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting from verse 12, it says this, Just as a body, though one has many parts, but its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body. 
whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. The first thing you notice here, Paul is talking about community or unity through diversity. We have something in common, even though we are diverse members, but we are of the same body. He speaks of the interconnectedness that we have as a body. He's saying you have been uh, made or you've been baptized to form one body. That means your components of one system, your members of one body. And and, and let me tell you something. Have you ever said, whose arm is this? I'm I'm wondering. I, I don't really like the look of the arm. It's like, seriously? You know, that this is part of you and, and those who mess with this hand, they mess with you. And, and those who pick, you know, if, if somebody picks on your face, then I say, don't worry about the face, it's not me. <laughs> if they pick on your face, they pick on you. If, if they hurt your leg, they hurt you uh, because we're so interconnected. You can't tell me that you are a member, but not part of a body. <laughs> it just doesn't work out that way unless you're um, you know you've been um, you know removed from the body. It's crazy. You don't want to think of that. So the second thing we'll learn from this metaphor of the body, Paul says in in First Corinthians twelve fifteen, he says, "Now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not." for that reason, stop being part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body was an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Can you see Paul, uh, you know, sarcastically looking at people and saying, listen, just because you're not a foot and you're not a hand, you're not an ear or you're not an eye, it doesn't make sense that you think you can be uh, you know, you can do life away from others. Like he's saying, if if you if if you if everything was if if it's all about you, like if the whole body is just you as an ear, what would be the sense of smell be like? It, what he's saying is like it would be absurd to have your perception of a body as just one member. That's you. You need every other member, a hand needs the foot and the eye needs the ear and so on. It's like the reality is we are interdependent. We are interdependent. We can't, uh, you know, do our our life and, and, and see ourselves and grow in our approach, uh, you know, and our uh, discipling endeavor unless we are interdependent. Everybody is uh, you know, connected in such a way that we don't think, you know, I can do life without you. But that's what we usually say when we're not connected to a group, a community. We say, oh, I don't need, the body doesn't need an ear. No, it does. We are interdependent on each other. And finally, we are interaccountable. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. It says that I cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And they cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. 
and the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. What is Paul saying there? He's saying every part is required. Why? Because every part needs to do a role. And everybody, every part is accountable to the other parts for the role that must be played. So an eye must see if the body has got any hope. In a, in the hand must act and must hold and, and, and must be used for the body to function properly. And the hand comes out, no, I'm not going to. I'm not willing to help out. You can't do that. The, the ear comes, oh, no, 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 I'm not willing. You know, you do your own thing now. You're accountable. It's within our body configuration, within our system, we expect everybody to do its part. So if you are not uh, part of a body, if you're not discipling people in a body, you know, where is the accountability that you have for the group and the group has for you? So a healthy body that brings about the best possible transformation, because the transformation is for the whole of the body, you see, uh, that happens when we are, when we understand that we are uh, connected, we, we, we are indispensable to one another, we are, we are helping and interdependent on each other, and we are accountable for one another. And just like we mentioned with the idea of the branches, I want to ask the same question now with the idea of a body. Can a body part grow alone? Can a body part grow alone? The reality is if you impetuate uh, a part, uh, it can't share the life of that body. It's cut off. It can't function anymore. So we as disciples need to take this seriously, that if we want to see people grow, they can't grow alone. They need a community to grow. And we pray that as we encourage you both with biblical ideas and educational ideas, you say, you know what, maybe I don't know how to do it yet in, in, in the same extent that, that is being communicated by will, I will have a go at creating an environment where different groups of, uh, of disciples can mingle together and can help each other become everything God desires them to be. Thank you so much for being with us. We're going to look forward to being with you in another episode where we'll continue to learn about effective communities that make a difference in the life of each disciple. Thank you so much for being with us. God bless you. See you next time.